So Money episode 1069, Stacia Crawford, award-winning journalist and entrepreneur. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Even though I had the number one newscast in the city, our new general manager came in and decided that the station didn't need that newscast. And so they literally cut the midday news. A layoff can sometimes be the best life event to help you finally take your career in the direction you want, right? Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. I know this personally, and I know many of you have experienced a layoff or job loss in the past or even recently. And our guest today has managed to dance with all these uncertainties and changes in her career as a television producer. Stacia Crawford is an award-winning journalist with more than three decades of experience in the broadcasting industry including 25 years as a TV producer in Chicago. Her vast experience as a TV news producer has positioned her to be a skilled communications specialist, a media trainer, and it is these strengths which have led her to create her own programs serving entrepreneurs, authors, and industry professionals, harness the power of the media to boost their visibility, get more leads, and make more money. So she's making money from what she does, which is TV production, and from what she knows. Stacia also hosts the popular More Than a Soundbite podcast in which she interviews top media professionals all over the country and delivers powerful strategies to help listeners get booked on TV, radio, in publications, and everywhere. If you run a business right now or if you're looking to get more visibility for your brand, Stacia has advice. She also shares some of the behind the scenes of working in television production, the issues with diversity in the newsroom, and how that has impacted her career. And you'll want to go and check out Stacia's podcast because I am on the show this week. Check out more than a soundbite podcast. But in the meantime, stick with us here. Here's Stacia Crawford. Stacia Crawford, welcome to So Money. How are you, my friend? I am doing great. I am fabulous. I, I couldn't be better. I say, you know, every day is better than the next. You're in Chicago. You've been there for almost 30 years, maybe longer. Uh, at least that's where you've spent all your career. 25 years as a TV producer in Chicago. I want to talk about that, but also your pivot to running your own business. We talk a lot on this show, Stacia, about making extra money, earning more. On the show we talk about, there's money that you can make from what you do, and then there's money you can make from what you know. I'd like to start with that because you are making money from what you do and what you know. What you do is 25 years producing television in Chicago, but what you know as a result of that doing is communications, how to communicate with the media, how to communicate with public, you know, PR, you know, writing, All of that, you've now started several revenue streams, kind of monetizing those, those skill sets. So tell us when you decided you wanted to even do that. When did it occur to you that this was something that you needed to pivot into? Wow. Well, you know, I've always been, I call myself the quintessential entrepreneur uh, because I've actually had a number of businesses, um, everything from doing African imports. I've had a children's clothing line. 
I've done some freelance writing in addition to, you know, the television producing. And so now I am pivoting um, to monetize what I know. And, you know, this particular pivot came about um, about seven years ago when I got laid off from my job. So I had been a TV news producer at that time. I was at the number one station in Chicago, ABC7, and I had been there for 19 years. And we got a new general manager. And as you know, from your background in media. Oh my God, start packing your things. Exactly. Start sending out those resumes. Absolutely. So even though I had the number one newscast in the city, our new general manager came in and decided that the station didn't need that newscast. And so they literally cut the midday news. And if you know anything about Chicago, it's a big news town. I mean, we've got like seven news stations and, you know, it's news and sports in Chicago. I mean, that's where New York pulls a lot of its talent. It's kind of a feeder to New York. I know I went to Columbia Journalism School Mm -hmm. and when we were sending out all of our quote unquote tapes, the tapes, now no one's got a tape. Everyone's just got a website, but we, we would have felt like such winners if we even got an internship at a station oh, in Chicago. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the number three station, you know, it's the number, the third largest market in the country. So it is a destination for journalists. Everybody's trying to get to either LA, New York, or Chicago, you know? So when he decided that we didn't need midday news, um, I basically got laid off from my job. And at that time, my husband and I, we did have another business because I am a big believer in multiple streams of income. So at that time, uh, we had a cultural center. And um, so a lot of my income, I did have something to fall back on when I left my job in television. But I still felt that there was something, you know, I'm like, you know, I've, I've been in this business for 25 years and there's something that I can do with all of this knowledge that I have and still help people because I've always been a helper. And so I realized that what I was doing as a producer, I would get a lot of pitches from people who wanted to be on my show. And a lot of them were just not done very well. Even the ones that came from professional PR people. Isn't that something? It it amazes me. You know, and uh, a lot of times I feel like I want to call the client and say, your publicist, I don't (laughs) know how much you're paying him or her, but it should be zero dollars. Because it, it, it really does. You it, only it, really get one chance to make an impression. One shot. Exactly. And the thing is, I'm a different type of producer because sometimes I would get a pitch, even if it's a bad pitch, I could see that there was something in there that would actually bring value to my audience. And most producers aren't going to take the time to kind of figure that out and formulate that for you. And that's what I was doing with a lot of people. And I would call them and I'd say, well, you know, I got your pitch. And, you know, it's missing a few things. So I have some questions, you know, and I'm not crazy about your pitch, but maybe you could do this. And I would kind of formulate it for them. And I thought, you know, there could be some money in that. (laughs) There's some opportunity there. Mm -hmm. So when I left my job and I started thinking back about that, I thought all the relationships that I had built over my years in the business and the people that I had gotten to meet, I just knew that that was a goldmine. You know, I'm like, you have a gold mine. You're sitting on a gold mine. So just because you're not producing TV right now doesn't mean that you can't monetize that. And so that's what I did. So let's give everybody listening, anyone who is 
a business owner, an entrepreneur, we want to help them out right now. Everybody needs help. Uh, especially we know media can be such a driver of sales and awareness, whether you have a not-for-profit, a business, a service, a website, a podcast. What are some ways that people can connect with the media in a way that is successful, given also what we're experiencing? The world is completely different right now. The media cares, I feel like, about five things. They care about politics. They care about COVID. They care about the economy and Black Lives Matters and like maybe, I don't know, sports, but then sports like what? Maybe basketball is coming back. How do you find your way into all that noise and how do you stand out? Well, I think the first thing that you have to do is recognize that every outlet has a specific audience. So the media that you're targeting, you need to make sure that they are keyed in to whatever your topic is. So, you know, if you're trying to get on local news, there was, you know, when you would look back two, three months ago, yeah, it was all about COVID because, you know, local news, they're feeding information to the wider population. But I say go for that targeted media. So, you know, if you're a parenting expert, look at parenting magazines. If you are, you know, entertain, if you're, you know, your entertainment is your field or, you know, for somebody like you, finance, you have, you know, different media outlets that focus on those very individual topics. Don't always go broad. Sometimes going more specific is going to serve you better in the long run, especially if you're looking to get immediate attention. Mm -hmm. Another way, and this is something that I teach my clients, I work on a program called Pitch Please. I also believe in the power of the media and how it can be a huge way to get out there. But one thing that people often forget, and you might also experience this too with your clients, is you can also be the one that provides the news. Like You don't have to wait to get covered or coverage. You can write the article and you can make the news And that's actually very appreciated right now. Maybe not so much on television, but blogs and uh, websites and and other sorts of digital media. We talk about like writing the article yourself. And obviously it's not going to be all about you. It's not a love letter to yourself, but it's about an issue. Then you can weave in you or you can have in your bio, your website, your podcast, whatever you're promoting. But that's also a great way to be uh, a guest writer. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, I want to be in Huffington Post. Well, Huffington Post is fueled by contributors. You know, Ariana Huffington is not sitting down writing all those articles. And, you know, <laughs> a lot of those, um, you know, are contributors, even when you look at things like Forbes. Um, and, you know, and I always tell people to never overlook the websites because every TV station also has a digital channel and they have social channels and they all have some programming, some content that is digital only or social only. And I say never overlook those because a lot of times, you know, people will come to me and they'll say, well, you know, I really want to be on TV. I don't necessarily want to be in a web story, but they don't recognize that a lot of times the web stories get way more eyeballs than that TV story would. If that TV story runs once, that web story may you know, it's, it's always there. It, you know, goes on the internet. It's forever there. That's such a good idea. And I will say a lot of the times the folks running those social media handles, they're swamped because it's constant. There's no like 12 o'clock news. It's, it's 24 hours. They've got to fill up those hours. And if you can 
deliver it on a silver platter, be like, here are my best tips. Here's some visuals. I'll do a live for you. I'll do a takeover. That's a, that's a great way to to get it. And then of course, now you're in the family and maybe you will make your way to the broadcast. You'll make your way to the website. Right. And a lot of people don't think about that. The simple fact that you need to visualize when you want to be on any media outlet, be it TV, radio, whatever it is, you need to be able to visualize and articulate what that's going to look like. So you don't want to contact a producer or an editor and just say, you know, I'm an expert in X, Y, Z, because I get this all the time. Oh, I'm an expert in X, Y, Z, and I'd love to be on your show. Mm. Like, well, that is not a pitch. Great. <laughs> Stacia, you, you are a teacher as well. You teach at Columbia College in Chicago and you teach uh, writing and reporting for TV news. What would be your advice for a aspiring journalist, particularly one who wants to work in television? I think that the advice is changing all the time. The advice I got probably 15 years ago is not going to hold muster now. So what would you say now to someone who's about to step in? I would say, number one, you have to consume the news. If you want to be on the news, I get so many young people who even say, well, I don't really watch the news. I'm like, well, (laughs) how can you not be actively involved in an industry that you want to be a part of, you know, that you want to hopefully change one day because it's evolving just like our world is evolving. And you have to understand how it works. And it's so competitive. So you have to start really honing that craft right away. Don't wait until you're looking for your first job or, you know, you're waiting until you're a senior in college and now you're trying to hone those writing skills. That should be done from the beginning. I tell, you know, even kids in junior high school and high school, you know, I'm telling them you need to be writing for your school newspaper, you know, be on the the school TV show or radio show. Um, you know, you have to be actively involved in that. Really writing is going to be your number one skill. And you know what? That is something that I was told all those years ago. And I'm happy to hear that that is still valid. And I appreciate that because at the end of the day, whether you want to be a podcaster, a radio host, a TV journalist, you need to know how to write. The writing is foundational. And I'm so glad that that is not a skill that is being you know, thrown out the window. Cause now we have, you know, (laughs) with Twitter and social media, I I get so annoyed with like grammatical errors and yeah, all these acronyms. I have to like Google four acronyms a day. I'm like, what is this? I, I feel old. And then I also feel like, can we just spell it out for, you know, um, everything is so quick and fast. And as a result, you know, I think it compromises sometimes the writing yeah. Yeah. And, and that that's that's going to be the key. That's what, what's going to set you apart. You have to be a storyteller. That's what, you know, being on TV and delivering the news. It's all about telling a compelling, emotional story that resonates with that viewer. That's why they tune in every day. They're you know, they're they're tuning in to get the information, mm-hmm. but they can get that anywhere. They want good, powerful storytelling. You know, I had Queen Latifah on the show last month and she was talking about how so few members of the media, the people who are telling the stories, who are thinking about what the story should be in the first place, are not women and let alone women of color. You've worked worked in TV production for 30 years. What has been your experience as far as diversity and where are we today versus where you where we were when you started? 
You know, we've come a long way for sure. One of the reasons why I became a producer specifically is um, originally I wanted to be a TV news reporter. And when I did my internship, I was at WCAU in Philadelphia and I was kind of shadowing the reporters. And I spent some time with one of the producers. And as I got to see what she did, I was like, wait a minute, they're the face on the TV, but this is where the decisions are made. <laughs> and I really like that. I'm like, she's like, yeah, you know, the, we're the ones who decide what gets on TV and what doesn't, what news, what stories get covered. This is where the decisions are made. And I knew that's the table I wanted to sit at. And so at that time, there were very few women, particularly African-American women, who were producers um, anywhere in the country and certainly not in a top 10 market. So when I came to Chicago 25 years ago, I was one of probably a handful of Black women news producers in the city. And now I can... I'm thrilled to say that there are dozens. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that that has been. Oprah, maybe it was the Oprah effect. Like Oprah, definitely the Oprah effect. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Cause she also had a, a big influence on me when I was in college as well. But I think it's also been organizations um, such as the national association of black journalists. That's so active in the community and in recruiting students and getting them to see the value and the opportunities that are still in the media and in television. Do you remember an experience where your your race did interfere with your ability to um, get an opportunity, be heard in your career? You know, in, in my career, it actually happens all the time. Um, and mainly because it is still primarily a white male environment for the most part in our newsroom. So every day we have editorial meetings and we're deciding what stories are going to go in. And you can often tell when that perspective is not there. Um, and so I love that I get to sit at the table and I get to give my perspective and say, hey, wait a minute. You know, even when we're covering things like right now, Black Lives Matter is a big issue. Um, and as you know, we had a lot of rioting in Chicago when the George Floyd uh, incident first happened. And the news coverage was a little bit slanted because a lot of people were saying, oh, well, you know, all of this is happening in the black community. They're destroying this and they're, you know, breaking windows and they're fighting with the police. And, you know, I had to, I, as well as, you know, some of my other colleagues, African-American colleagues had to stand up and say, wait a minute, you need to look at this from a different perspective. You need to understand, yes, people are rioting, people are looting, but the rioters and the looters and the protesters, you're grouping them all into the same category and they're not the same. There are people who have been marginalized, who have been ignored, who have been stepped on and pushed aside. And you have some people who are just looking for an opportunity to steal stuff. And you cannot mm -hmm. group those two together. So you can't look at it and say, oh, well, this is what, you know, black people are doing. Right. Uh, and we had to have that tough conversation in our newsroom. And it affected the way that we actually, uh, you know, did our coverage. Are you hopeful that this year, as we approach another election, that the media will be more responsible in being fair and balanced in the reporting and also to be more fact checking in their reporting. Four years ago, we didn't 
ever dream <laughs> the reality that is now. Okay. And I wonder what in your own, in your experience, in your local newsroom, what those conversations have been in the run up to the the election. Yeah, I, absolutely. I do. I'm very hopeful about it. Um, I think that you know, every day is an opportunity to get it right and to get it better. Accuracy and objectivity are, you know, number one and number two when it comes to journalism. And I think that, you know, nobody saw this coming. (laughs) But I think, you know, unfortunately, the fact that we've had to go through this, you know, the past four years, I think that the media is much more aware now, even when you notice the reporting, the way, the way, the way we cover the presidency, even in national news, is a lot different because now our eyes are more open. And, and that fairness is very important because, because it's so polarizing. So I'm, hope, I'm very hopeful um, that this upcoming election, it'll be a little different. I'm sure of it. Yeah, it better be. <laughs> we have a lot at stake, Stacey. We do, absolutely. We do. We always do, but especially especially right now. I want to give a shout out to all the things you have going on. You're the creator of Be Seen, Get Booked, Brand and Deliver, Lights, Camera, Access. These programs help entrepreneurs, authors, industry professionals harness the power of media to increase visibility, get more leads, and I love it, make more money. Cause that's, yeah. that's what we like to do. Um, and you also have a podcast more than a soundbite podcast. You're busy and you're a mom and you're a wife. I mean, yes. how, <laughs> <laughs> when we all went into quarantine, how, like, I mean, just tell me what's going on right now. What's the mess that you're in? Because I'll tell you, quarantine, I know everybody hated it. And I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. Like, tell me about your mess. It, you know, I, I, I'm almost ashamed to say, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> because because your kids are out of the house or you're you know, older. Well, the funny thing is they're, they're back now. So, you know, since the colleges are closed, everybody's back. So the house is full, which I do. I kind of like that now because, you know, normally it's just, you know, me and the dogs. My youngest son is still here. But, you know, quarantine was really for me just a chance to kind of step back and slow down. So, you know, my husband and I have the cultural center and unfortunately, uh, we have not been able to open since March. So while we're missing the income, a lot of that busyness and, you know, scheduling events and classes and workshops and being at all these community events, that has definitely slowed down. Um, college is closed. So <laughs> so I'm not teaching at the moment. Um, the remote e-learning, let me tell you, that was, that was a handful. <laughs> it definitely was. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, my kids were old enough where they could pretty much figure out the e-learning by themselves. They're they're like tech geniuses. I think these days they come out of the womb that way. So I didn't really have to be as hands on with them with their schoolwork. And so it's really given me more time just to kind of slow down and step back and really focus more on my business. And so this time has been really valuable for me. I, I said earlier that you spent you know, 30 years in broadcasting, 25 of those in Chicago. Previous to starting your career, where, tell me about your background and uh, maybe tell me a money story that you had growing up that was really impactful. Well, um, you know, the funny thing is I wanted, to, growing up, I always wanted to be a teacher. And when I would share that with my family, everybody would always say to me, but you're so smart. You're so smart. You should be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor. And so I decided I was going to be a doctor, <laughs> right? Just because, okay, everybody, you know, okay, safe. Yeah, I'll be a doctor. It's, it's a respectable occupation. 
Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, because everybody told me, well, teachers don't make any money. And I knew that, you know, I did want to make some money. I mean, you know, I didn't grow up poor. We were a working middle class family. But I knew that I wanted to, you know, really fill that generational wealth gap. And from what everybody was telling me, you know, even as young as seven or eight years old, I knew that being a teacher, I couldn't do that. And so I decided, okay, I'll be a doctor. But it wasn't until I went to college when I really discovered, although I was really good in math and science, I really loved writing. I recognized, I just blossomed as a creative person. And that's kind of where it all kind of came out. And that's when I decided, you know, that television was the way that I wanted to go. And this was during the time when Oprah's star was rising. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, and, you know, I knew her from Baltimore, where I grew up. And, you know, she was in Chicago. And I was like, oh, you know what? I think I think I could do that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she was a huge inspiration for me. That narrative that what you just shared about growing up and feeling almost like it was your responsibility to, you know, close that generational wealth gap. I've heard that now from uh, a number of, in particular, black women. It's like a burden, but also a blessing in some ways because it motivates you and it does get you to high places. And then, of course, the gift of being able to support your family. Was that something that was communicated to you directly or that was just a feeling that you had growing up? It was definitely a feeling. Um, my sister is 10 years older than me, almost 11 years older than me. So I grew up almost as an only child, but I was the first in my family to graduate from college. And so my sister and I would always have these conversations and she would say, you know, she was like my biggest cheerleader. You can do whatever you want to do. You can be this, you can do that. And she was always in my ear with that. So why I never felt that, you know, I never wanted for any anything, even though um, I grew up with my grandparents who were on a fixed income. Um, unfortunately, my parents passed away when I was young. So I was raised by my grandparents. But we I never felt that I didn't have everything that I needed. But my sister was always the one who was pushing me like, you can do this. You can do that. You know, I remember when the first time I got a salary and it was six figures and I I was just so happy. I'm like, I don't think anybody in my family's ever made six figures. And I told my sister and she was just, I think she was more excited than I was. But I just, I just had this feeling that I had to do this for my family. And I'm so proud that I was able to do that. And so I just want to keep that going. And for your sons, you have two sons? I have three sons. Three actually. sons. Okay. Yes. What's the financial discussions that you are having, especially now, I think it's a really interesting time when we talk about money with your kids, especially if they're in college and they're thinking about their futures. And yeah. we, we've already been reading like in the Wall Street Journal, how college applications are down, kids taking gap years, colleges are now negotiating with, with current students yeah. to reduce tuition, which is great. I support yeah. that. Are there any money talks that you're having? What's the hope for your kids? You know, we have we have very candid money talks and that and one of the reasons why is because I felt like a lot of the stuff about money that I had to figure out, I felt like I had to figure it out on my own and I didn't want my kids to have to do that. So we do, you know, we talk about that. Even my oldest son, he's he just turned 21 and he has his own business and we have very candid talks about money, you know when they were younger, you know, it wasn't about how much money do you make? But, you know, we recently even had a conversation about, look, this is what it takes 
this is how much money we need to run our household. And my, my younger son was like, wow, really? Because <laughs> right. he doesn't really have a concept. But mm-hmm. my own son, you know, who now has a business and he works a part-time job and, you know, he has an apartment and he has a car and he has a girlfriend, all those things that are very expensive. And so he's really starting to understand it. So now we can have those candid conversations about, yeah, you think, you know, $50,000 is a lot of money. It really isn't. You think, you know, earning $100,000 is a lot of money. It really isn't. Um, this is what, this is what it takes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a whole different picture of success now. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I, we also invest in real estate. We have commercial and real estate properties. And um, so we have those conversations with our kids too about, you know, that generational wealth and, you know, when and don't to- screw it up because <laughs> I worked really hard to close that gap. Yes. Don't screw it yeah. up. I know I yeah. feel, I feel a lot of pressure to do that. It is, you it, know, it's a, it's a great deal of pressure. But it's, but again, it's, it's not, it's healthy pressure. I think, you know, because it puts things in perspective. You know, I feel like for me, I can only speak for myself. I look at my parents who came here as immigrants with very little and didn't speak the language and, you know, on and on and on and on. And now they've been, they, you know, they've achieved many levels of success. And I, and I feel like I was born into the world with far more resources than they were. And, um, I, I always say like, what's my excuse? Right. You know, and you just said like your kids were born, like knowing how to work technology and they have sort of advantages that you did in and they grew up with two you know, parents. And it's just uh, those reminders are not bad. Those aren't always those are very helpful reminders to your kids. Yeah. yeah. And we have and, we, you know, we have to have them. I mean, even now, you know, with, you know, COVID-19 and, you know, like I said, our businesses are not operating. So we're losing a lot of income, um, you know. As landlords, we have tenants who have lost their jobs. So that's our rent. That's our income. Those are conversations that, you know, we also have to have with our kids. So it's like you think that this doesn't affect you, but it does. Mm-hmm. And here's how. Um, and, they're, you know, they are. They're tough conversations. But I think it makes them it makes them better stewards um, of their own money yes. when they get older. And hopefully, you know, any money that I'm able to leave them when I go on. hmm. Like continue the legacy. Yeah. I mean, we don't, I think it's important to keep also talk about like financial legacy. You know, we're so living in the now, but Mm -hmm. let's talk about like what we want our money to represent when we're not here anymore. You know, we want our hard work to continue to shine and our families to continue to benefit. Um, Let's last question. This is about the future. You know, we all came into 2020 with our plans and then they all got lit on fire. Uh, They did. Seriously. Um, and now we're, you know, we're, we're getting creative and we're figuring out how to make do. What is your hope? What do you want 2020 to be for you? You know, what's the theme? What's the name of the chapter? Wow. The name of the chapter um, is the best is yet to come. Um, yeah. I, you know, I love television. I've devoted, you know, more than 30 years of my life to it. Um, but I'm really at this point in the game, I'm ready to live life on my own terms. I know that I've, I've made an impact in that business and I, I think I always will, but I think that from here on out, it's really going to be more about being able to deliver value to other people through my own platforms. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've been laid off and, you know, <laughs> everybody laughs about it now. But just a couple of weeks ago at my station, the network had massive layoffs and there were over 30 people at my station who lost their jobs oh. on a, Wednesday, a casual Wednesday afternoon. And now we refer to it as Bloody Wednesday. But, you know, you always when you're in this business, you know, and you may know when you're in this business, you're always waiting for the other shooter drop because you just don't know when it's going to happen. Mm hmm. And I've been in that situation and I've told myself I never want to be there again. So I think, you know, when I leave television this time, it's going to be on my own terms and, uh, you know, being able to have the freedom and the flexibility and being able to develop new programs and disseminate information to people who really need it and doing it in a way that works for me. You're doing it right. I mean, just to hear you with all your hustles and all your side hustles and your businesses, I think now if we're ever going to give someone a degree in journalism, they have to do like 20 hours of you know, side hustle work, because that's really what it takes. You have to have a lot of burners going because the world that, I mean, everything's unpredictable. You could lose your job in any industry, but I, I experienced it too. You could, you very easily can lose your job in the media. Oh, absolutely. Cycles come and cycles go. Yeah. When I first got into this business, uh, one of my main anchors, I think I'd probably been in television maybe a year or two. And, um, I think someone got fired and he said to me, you haven't made it in this business until you've lost your job. <laughs> I was like, what? So true. Yeah, yeah. My, my life kind of figured itself out after I got laid off, you know, 2009. Uh, I got really serious about what I wanted to do then. So I'm thankful for that. Thank you, journalism, for being so unapologetic and terrible <laughs> to your employees. No, I'm kidding. Your story, Stacia, is really what we need to hear right now to understand how to pivot in this environment, how what you do is not the only way you can make money. There's also so much of what you know, which is probably broader and more expansive. Congratulations on everything you have going on. And I look forward to being on your podcast. Oh, well, thank you. I'm looking forward to that as well. Thanks so much. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much to Stacia for joining me. Her website is stayreadymedia.com and her podcast again is called More Than a Soundbite Podcast. All this information and the links and the transcript are on somoneypodcast.com. While you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and leave me your question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope your day is so money. Money.